Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome into another episode of And That's Another Carolina Podcast. That's right. Chris and Wes leaving me hanging and I'm absolutely leaving this in there so that they can be publicly humiliated for not participating in what I think is a fun little bit here, guys. You can't leave me hanging like that. I'm your host, Pearson Fowler. You can catch me on 107.5 The Game from 12 to 1 on weekdays. And with me, as always, Wes Mitchell and Chris Clark from Gamecock Central. You know them, you love them. And it's been a busy week in Columbia, a lot of recruiting notes, a basketball game, and an assistant coach hire. So we'll get through all of that. And of course, take your questions if you are watching this live. Hello, Wes is phone you can send us questions to hit us there as well but we'll get started guys with the biggest news for carolina football right now and that is finally hiring a defensive line coach it had taken a little bit longer than getting a running back coach but the gamecocks have finally landed on john scott jr the third who spent the last couple of years at arkansas guys this was a hire that wasn't necessarily greeted with as much fanfare as Thomas Brown, who had a pretty good resume and had coached a whole bunch of really talented running backs in his short career. But what is y'all's take on this hire? Yeah, John Scott's a guy who, um, you know, still relatively young, but has a good bit of experience. He started off, I believe, in the early 2000s as high school coach um, and then has really just worked his way up through the ranks. You know, you look at his last, really his last four jobs have been, you know, a, a Big 12 job. Then you look at he moved to the NFL and started as a quality control guy there and was promoted to an assistant defensive line coach. Then he took a job in the SEC at Arkansas and now at South Carolina. So has ties to the state. Uh, He played high school football at Greer, um, still has family nearby, um, and has a lot of siblings, actually. I think he got 12 siblings. And so they're sort of scattered throughout the southeast as well. So for him, this is an opportunity to get closer to home, closer to his kids. Um, His son starts high school next year. And so that was a good opportunity for him. And he's a guy that's got a good reputation in terms of recruiting. Uh, Talked to a lot of high school coaches in Georgia and South Carolina who were already familiar with him from past stops. Uh, He's a a guy that played college football at Western Carolina. Uh, He's coached at Georgia Southern. And so he's really established some southeast ties. And when you look at some of the guys that he's – developed, whether it's uh, helping work in the NFL with guys like Sheldon Richardson, Muhammad Wilkerson, uh, Leonard Williams, who made the Pro Bowl one year that John Scott was there. And then some of the guys he's coached in college as well. He's got a pretty good track record of helping improve and develop defensive linemen. You know, I think when you look at these hires, man, um, we it's easy to get caught up in like the big names and the fan base, of course, gets caught up. And I think, first of all, we got to remember, um, unless you're talking about a coordinator position, your average college football fan and even media member, I mean, how many can like go around and name every school's defensive line coach? You know, I mean, it's a, to me, it's all about finding the right fit. Uh, this is someone that uh, Will Muschamp sort of uh, identified pretty early on as being a, a possible fit for South Carolina. Um, younger guy, but has coached in the SEC, has coached in the Big 12. Like you said, the Palmetto State ties. And, um, you know, has recruited Atlanta for for a long time, which that that's one of the territories that Muschamp said from day one 
was going to be treated like an in-state territory. And uh, you almost have to, and, and they do, They you know, you have to split Atlanta up among multiple coaches. You know, you can't just say one guy has Atlanta. And I, yeah. I think with, with South Carolina, uh, you know, Brian McClendon, um, you know, a guy like Mike Peterson, I, I think, involved there, Thomas Brown and his ties to Georgia. Now, uh, you know, a guy in John Scott Jr. has recruited that area for a number of years. Uh, you can see why it fits. And I, I think with this staff, um, the changes, uh, you go back to Thomas Brown as well, the changes and the connections maybe that Brown has to McClendon and just the the way all these guys sort of fit together, I think is a big part of uh, keeping a staff together and keeping a staff happy and it's more about everything sort of fitting together, I think. So when you are talking about those other assistant coaches, the non-coordinator positions, a lot of that ends up being about recruiting. Obviously, player development is is important. But what we see in college football now more than ever is the importance of that coveted blue-chip ratio. How many good guys, how many four- and five-star guys can you get? And that begins and ends with recruiting. So I think when people were looking at the Thomas Brown hire, just to make that direct comparison because it's in recent memory, we're talking about a guy that had not only had success coaching good players, but but had been recruiting at big schools like Wisconsin, like Georgia, and like Miami. So, I, you know, I hear what you guys are saying, and obviously Will Muschamp wouldn't bring in somebody that he doesn't trust. But one thing that I wonder about, and if I can probably speak for a lot of the fan base at this point, you see a guy that spent a couple years at Arkansas, and before that, you know, it was NFL, and then it was places in college like Western Carolina. So one of the things that I think some people have been wondering about is what those relationships do you know, yes, he's been recruiting those areas, but not necessarily the same caliber talent in those areas. So do those relationships still still hold over? And is that something that we can expect to be a seamless transition or will it, you know, not be an issue, but is it at least something to consider that he's mostly been recruiting lower tier talent to places like Western Carolina and not real power five schools? Yeah, I mean, it's a good question, but I think Wes made a good point too. I mean, <clears throat> a lot of it is, is, is about fit. You know, um, you look at uh, for example, Lance Thompson, when he was brought on at South Carolina, South Carolina made a change there after this after this season, after the 2018 season, to bring in another defensive line coach. And I can remember, and Wes, you probably do too, mm-hmm. you know, covering Muschamp's initial staff and, and some of the search that led to some of those names. I mean, people were just absolutely beside themselves with glee about Lance Thompson because um, this is a guy who at Alabama had been named the Rivals National Recruiter of the Year for the entire country. Um, he'd landed some big-time talent like Julio Jones and Mark Barron and, you know, just all sorts of players at Alabama. And, you know, the resume was really, really good. Uh, so you look at that, but then you look at the fact that South Carolina, obviously it didn't work out as everybody expected. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so you bring in somebody like John Scott, and, no, does he have the resume of having coached at Alabama or coached at Georgia um, or a bunch of different SEC stops? No, he doesn't. Um, but – that said, he still has experience in recruiting some talented players. Um, he's at a different school at a different situation. In, in my opinion, it's probably the best situation he's been in during his coaching career. And so if you've got a guy that works hard, that has connections, and is a good coach, typically when you move up um, in terms of the school that you're at, then you got a chance to also move up in the types of guys that you're able to lure to that program. Yeah, I think at South Carolina you have to be a bit – resourceful as well as far as uh, the guys you're going to land um, you have to get I, I've thought this for a long time you have to get a combination of uh, your Zach Pickens types that are just no-brainer five-star everybody in the country wants them um, you know it, do, it doesn't take a college coach to look at Zach Pickens and say this guy's going to be really good you know right. anybody that's watched any football can put on the film and say hey this guy's good we got to go sign guys like this but 
if you're at South Carolina, you have to get a combination of your, let's say, Zach Pickens, and let's go the completely other end of the spectrum, DJ Wanham, who is a really good player for South Carolina, especially when he's been healthy. Um, but, uh, you know, it was a, an under-the-radar evaluation. And I, I think, um, you know, that, that's something that Muschamp has tried to instill in his coaching staff, I think, and putting a big priority on uh, evaluation and on, uh, obviously, development once they get here. But, you know, and I, I think the other part of this is in the Carolinas, you're always going to have talent on the defensive line. So yep. um, he's not going to have to go all over the country to, to find these guys. Um, they're going to be nearby. Uh, for South Carolina, generally, I think the – now, this class is a little bit different. We saw them go out of state and, and go to the West Coast, you know, and get a guy like Ryan Helensky. For the most part, in South Carolina's history, the high, high-profile guys they've been able to land have been from a general radius that – or, you know, that's not very far from South Carolina. So sure. you're going you're gonna to be in the game with a ton of guys from – you even look at this past class, you look at the upcoming class, uh, you know, Jordan Birch, Alex Huntley, you don't even have to leave Columbia, and those guys are right there. So I, I think for him, it's going to be more about, uh, you know, are you a guy that can connect with these kids that make them feel comfortable at South Carolina? And then if you're South Carolina, you hope that you already have, you've got the geography sort of in your favor. you got a new football ops building to where you feel like you're on, po- on par or ahead of anybody else in, in that category. And uh, you want to be able to put all the pieces together. So then the, that throws in the fact that we still don't even know exactly what John Scott Jr.'s specific role is going to be on the staff in that he he was hired as the, quote, defensive line coach, but um, is coming in for Lance Thompson, who was just primarily a defensive tackles coach this past season. So I think that's another question. Which of these guys does he really focus in on? Because uh, this past season – you know, Mike Peterson was actually working with the defensive end. So uh-huh. how does that sort of separate out as well as another part of this that I guess we haven't really talked about much? Well, and it'll certainly be a couple of years before we're really able to assess his impact, especially in terms of recruiting. But what we do know is he's inheriting a nice crop of young players with Rick Sandage and J.J. Anagbare and Josh Belk and just a whole bunch of talented guys there in the middle. So um, like I said, it'll be a couple of years before we can really – assess what he is going to be doing here at South Carolina in terms of his productivity, in terms of what he's doing on the recruiting trail. But the good news, if you're a Carolina fan, to say even nothing of the hire, this offseason has settled in terms of making hires, making changes to the coaching staff, and now we can just start to turn our attention to the recruiting trail, to the last little bit of this 2019 class, and then to the 2019-20 season. And with that said, South Carolina getting a exciting commitment earlier this week from Deion Sanders' son. Some of you may have heard of him. Shiloh Sanders, a top 300 guy, three-star prospect, announcing his commitment to South Carolina while South Carolina was in the middle of upsetting Auburn, which we'll talk about in just a minute. But, guys, you were talking about you know getting the combination of high-profile guys, your five-star Zach Pickens, your four-star Ryan Holinsky types, and then some of the other guys that you're going to be able to bring in and develop. And as much as everybody knows Sanders because – Deion Sanders is one of the greatest defensive backs to ever play football. He's still a three-star guy, so not necessarily your class headliner. But what have you seen from Shiloh on film? What's he going to bring to South Carolina? Yeah, I think you look at him, uh, first of all, when you turn on the film, I think one of his very first plays, maybe the first play is a kickoff return for touchdown. Um, Chris, I thought it was interesting. He he actually runs like his dad. Like yep. If you you know remember watching his dad when, when you were a kid, I know I did. I was and I was an Atlanta Braves fan, so watching Deion Sanders um, back in the day as uh, Pearson High steps in here. Luckily, that's not on video, uh, which is a good thing. But um, 
you know, it looks really awkward in suit pants and a tie, but I did it. Yeah, you did. Um, and there, there's some high stepping on on Shiloh. He do, he doesn't really seem to shy away. You know, some kids are like kind of shy away from who their dad is if they have a high profile dad. He doesn't uh, Shiloh away from them. Oh man, well Ooh, done. We need sound effects now. Um, okay, but yeah, he's 21. He wears number 21. Um, he high steps. Uh, he carries himself a little bit like his dad. Not as fast as his dad, but I mean, you know, who really is? But yeah. Play, plays more physical than Dion ever did, I think. You know, like he, he hits six uh, one yeah. is what he's listed at. I think one eighty four on rivals has good ball skills. Uh, like I said, could help in the kickoff return game. Um, has some versatility. Played receiver for them as well, uh, catching passes from his brother, who I guess we'll probably talk about in a second. Um, but yeah, I mean, I I think when you look again at their needs, uh, we've talked about it already on the podcast before. You know, they need to land a defensive back or two to sort of close out uh, on top of what they got during the early signing period. And this is a guy, Chris, they had sort of identified down the stretch as being a priority for them. Yeah, I agree with you there on the on the physical attributes and really looking at him. I think he could, from a skill set standpoint, probably play anywhere in the secondary. I mean, he's physical enough and has a size um, to play safety. I think, and then, of course, he can play nickel or corner. He's a long kid. I think he's still developing as a player, you know, mm-hmm. still sort of growing, um, uh, but really has a lot to like. I mean, I think that's what it's all about is finding guys that have attributes. Some are more ready-made than others, but South Carolina's got some holes at corner. I mean, you, you take the fact that J.C. Horn and Israel McQuamu are going to be your, your two projected starters next year, and there's some other guys in that mix too, but – um, certainly there's some opportunity for guys to step in and get some reps at corner. And uh, South Carolina is going to have a few in this class that are that are capable of coming in and stepping in. And I think um, not only will Shiloh maybe help out in the secondary and as a kick returner, but I think he's got the skill set to be a, a standout special teams player as well just on kick kick coverage, punt coverage, and, and could contribute early there. Should be a fun secondary to watch in the next couple of years and also to watch the dads in the stands. We could have Deion Sanders, Joe Horn, and Chris Gamble in the stands watching all their kids play for Carolina. So certainly star-studded and again, even not if necessarily in terms of the ratings, just in terms of you know what those names mean to people around here. So uh, you know, undoubtedly exciting and, and really stole the headlines, did Shiloh Smith. But this is also on the tail end of what was a big weekend for Carolina in terms of people coming on their official visits. We previewed that a little bit during our last episode of That's Another Carolina podcast. So guys, what did you hear coming off of this weekend from the guys that made their official visit? Hey, you know what? I gotta gotta pull my weight because you guys are leaving me out to dry and I hope the people on the message boards are going to take you to task for not participating in the great name and the great opportunity we have uh, to, you know, make that reference continue. The name that I came up with. Yeah, exactly. So that's why you have to participate. Uh, Before we get to the official visits, though, we do, speaking of the great people on the Gamecock Central message boards, we do have a mess, we have a question that ties into what we're talking about from James Robb. Shout out to James Robb. Um, is he one of our good posters or is he one that stirs stuff up? He's, he's, he's a good poster. Okay. For, especially right. for the purposes of the mention that you just gave yeah. him. He's a and, good and just so you know, uh, we recorded two versions of that and I cut out the bad one. <laughs> oh. So we just, we're just going to leave in the part where we said good and things West about said him the and we're going to cut you yeah, yeah. the good one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, you're right. It's true. It's recorded somewhere. Uh, but yeah, James Robb wants to know where does USC stand with Shiloh's brother? Is this potentially a package deal? Um, and South Carolina has not offered his brother yet. Um, 2021 quarterback, is he a package deal was the question. I, I doubt it. You know, he, he's got a ton. I was looking. He's got a ton of offers. Yeah. You know, I, I would think the way South Carolina does business, they probably want to get him in for camp, see him in person this summer, 
see how that goes, and then go from there. Does it help you? I think it always helps you just because he, you know, he was on campus earlier this year when Shiloh took his official visit. I think that was October. Um, it helps, but I, I don't think you could say they're a package deal by any means. But, I mean, the kid on film is he's good. He's already about the same size as his brother. He's 6'1", 185, and a couple of years younger. So certainly someone that I think Gamecock fans will be excited to keep an eye on. And worst-case scenario, I mean, it can't hurt. Just because Shiloh's coming here doesn't mean Shadur's going to come here. But also, it can't hurt. That's going to help with recruiting. So he, he's one of the other guys that we're going to be keeping an eye on for the next couple of years. And we have some upcoming visits still before we get to National Signing Day. But before we talk about the upcoming recruits, we want to talk about the people that came to South Carolina last week and just recap some of the visits what you guys heard from people that came to columbia last weekend yeah i mean it was it was a big weekend i think for south carolina not just with upperclassmen but with underclassmen as well uh you know they had the four official visitors i guess that were 2019 guys of course um shallow sanders was on campus for an unofficial visit that sort of i think gave south carolina a chance to completely lock up his recruitment but um two committed guys and xavier leggett and uh, Mark Fox, the offensive tackle, or I should say signed guys, they're already completely signed yep. and, you know, in the fold with South Carolina. And then you had, um, I guess the guy we should talk about is Jaquez Sorrells, a uh, four-star defensive tackle out of Florida, um, a kid South Carolina I think is in pretty good shape with. And then uh, Dequan Watts, a three-star corner out of Atlanta, who um, actually named South Carolina as a leader after that trip. Uh, Chris, you want to go in on those guys a little bit? Yeah, I mean, Sorrells is someone that I think South Carolina has been really consistent there. Um, you know, a question we get a lot was when the Lance Thompson stuff was sort of going out and it first started coming out, is that going to affect Sorrells? And really, I don't think it has much at all because Will Muschamp and Javaris Robinson have really taken point on that recruitment. I'm sure John Scott will be connected. I'm sure he's probably already connected. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, that's one that they've been pretty consistent in recruiting and there's been a little bit of a revolving door of schools that have been involved every time. He was committed to Florida quite a while back, and then you always would hear FSU and Oregon and Alabama and some other schools. And South Carolina has been a consistent one. They haven't really rolled off the list or back on the list. He's still consider- considering Alabama and Penn State, uh, but the Gamecocks are definitely the program. I think I think everybody's sort of chasing right now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, could he go visit Alabama and Penn State? Sure, um, but I, th- I think South Carolina is the one that everybody's still. Um, you know, really looking up to right now. Watts, you know, it's interesting. South Carolina landed Sanders. They've got three more spots, really, in this class if they mm-hmm. can get Sorrells. So the question is, you know, do you take another defensive back? Do you take another offensive lineman? Two more defensive backs. they got Jamie Robinson still out there. But Watts is someone I certainly think that they've they've poised, put themselves in good position with here down the stretch. Let's go to another question. Uh, low and slow, um, who – Actually, is one of my favorite posters on Game Oh, you shouldn't play. You're favorites. really dishing it out here but tonight. I like Low and Slow. He has some good points. Um, he says, "Can you highlight the biggest position needs in the 2020 class?" Uh, we'll tie that in. Also, this past weekend being a, a big Junior Day weekend for them, uh, first opportunity for a lot of these kids to see the football ops building. Um, all of the committed guys for 2020 were on campus. Uh, if you look at what Luke Doty, Isaiah Walker, Tyshawn Wanamaker, and then they added a commitment. We haven't even talked about that. Uh, Daquan Stewart, the uh, yeah. 2020 uh, wide receiver. And um, I think position needs, to me, Chris, if you start to look at the numbers, they've kind of actually got the roster um, balanced out enough to where you can kind of take balanced classes, Yeah, I, I think, at least as far as from South Carolina's roster position. But then I think you start to say, 
where do you need, you know, where's the, where does the quality need to rise? You know, where do you need difference makers? And then I think you start to look at what areas in the country have the most talent right now because, you know, we've already talked about maybe defensive back nationally is not quite as yeah. um, talented as maybe it was this past year. Um, but to me, it starts with landing a big-time elite back. That's something we've talked yeah. about a lot. Can they get that difference maker? I think numbers-wise, you can sort of just start to, you know, they have their quarterback, you know, maybe two running backs, you know, maybe what, two or three receivers. Uh, they always seem to take four or five offensive linemen. Um, you know, you can kind of just look at a balanced 25-man class and go from there. But as far as true needs, as far as upgrading, got to be an elite running back. And they, it looks like they're going to have some of those guys on campus here soon. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. You, you look at, I think, part of managing your numbers in a class is who can you get. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, and, and part of that is, like you mentioned, the defensive back class is not going to be as good regionally mm-hmm. or nationally. It's pretty good this year, yeah. not as good next year. So, you know, I would be surprised if South Carolina took more than, say, three or four defensive backs. You're not going to go load up with six in a weak class. It doesn't mm-hmm. make any sense. Defensive line, they did pretty good there with numbers this cycle. They're pretty good on the roster overall with numbers. But, man, look at the talent in the Southeast mm-hmm. on the defensive line, whether it's tackle, in buck types, not only the guys in state, but then you go up to North Carolina and you got Miles Murphy and you got um, Desmond Evans. You go down to Georgia, you got Zakevius Walker, um, the other Miles Murphy, five-star guy. So you just got a ton of, of talent concentrated right there in the Southeast. And so – if you can land several of those guys, you'd have a really hard time turning them down. You know, and, and it's still a bit too early to know which one of those South Carolina can close on, but they have three guys in state. They've got a few guys in North Carolina. They've got a few guys in Georgia, um, and so they're going to have to balance that. I think the O-line class will end up being on three or four. You know, probably four yeah. would make the most sense. Yeah, let's uh, real quick. we got to throw a shout-out because Isaiah Walker just – He's listening to us right now. Oh, so okay. He just gave us a shout out on on uh, what are we on Periscope? Yeah, um, we're gonna move. Oh, this you are around. periscoping this. Yeah, we're periscoping That's this. Time. That's better than Facebook Live. Yeah, we did Facebook Live. I think we're gonna try Don't YouTube me, Facebook. next time. Um, but yeah, Isaiah Walker, one of South Carolina's uh, offensive line commitments for 2020, uh, throwing us a shout out on Periscope. And you know, I think the thing about Eric Wolford, he gets he gets his job done quick. He starts loading up on line yes. early. Uh, Walker already committed. Tyshawn Wanamaker already committed. Both those guys checked out the uh, Ops building. And, uh, you know, that's a, a good segue, I think. Um, all the guys that were there seemed blown away with the new building, as you would expect with a brand-new yeah. facility. Um, but I, I don't know about the ones you talked to, but the ones I talked to, the weight room actually was a lot of times one of the first things mentioned by yep. the kids. I had – the funny thing was I had a variety of different answers. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I did get a lot of weight room. One mentioned the training room uh, is his favorite. Micah Morris from the 2021 class mentioned the training room was his favorite. The recording studio was a hit. Um, the, Are people not talking about the barbershop? That's my favorite part of it. Well, well, I had one mention the locker room. And so okay, he mentioned the barbershop because it's attached. Okay, when you walk into the locker room, the barbershop's mm-hmm. right on the left. That's the best and most unusual amenity, I think. I mean, not that I've been in a lot of yeah. these facilities, but, you know, training or weight room is standard. Training room yeah. is standard. Like, a, yeah. you can get your hair cut in there. That's incredible. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's impressive from top to bottom, everything. I, I know the parents, one thing that they enjoy, there, there's an area that's sort of dedicated to the life skills area, and so that's Marcus Lattimore's sort of area. It's just sort of down a hallway near a cafeteria, and um, his office is there. And, and, again, they're still moving some stuff in. It's not totally, totally, totally complete. Um, should be soon before the media tour on February 4th, but 
um, that that scenario I know parents enjoyed. Not, that was another thing, Wes, talking to a lot of the prospects. There were a lot of family members that also made the trip with them. And, yes, and that yeah. can only be a positive for South Carolina. Yeah, the um, the recovery area. One, one of the kids mentioned the recovery area as being, like, just very, very impressive to him and that there's an yep. entire area dedicated to, you know, after you work out. We're not talking about just, hey, you know, the high school version of getting the, the ice tub, Ice basically. bath, yeah. yeah no, like, there's a... There's a hydrotherapy thing where you can float. There's a there's something that literally you can you can get in and you're like completely immer- like it's almost looks like a uh, like a CT scan machine or something that's like completely closed, but apparently it's got water in it. Uh, they have a uh, what's those it's like things? a back to have a hyperbaric chamber. Oh wow! In there, Ooh, so there's a that. there's a lot of different things in there that it, it looks like not only have they upgraded like the space, but they've also it looks like upgraded like actual training equipment. From some, I mean, they had pools and and yeah. running and water and stuff like that, but I think they've upgraded the actual training equipment too. Did y'all get my back to tank thing? That's the like little tube with liquid in it that Luke's floating in after he gets his hand cut off, you know, and he's rehabbing. You know what I'm talking I'm about? Look at him with a blank stare yeah. right now. Y'all don't know? Are y'all not Star Wars people? You don't know what a no, back to tank I'm is? Not, no. I mean, I've I've seen them. That's I've incredibly movies, disappointing. But I'm not. Yeah, I don't, I don't. I'm not really picking up what you're putting down. I mean, All right, I'm fine, fine. You and Jay can do a podcast. Yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll do the Star Wars. I'll podcast. save the Star Wars for people that get it and appreciate it. But yeah, it's good. So, we'll, we'll stick with the recruiting for you guys. So, with that being said, and you guys threw out a couple names uh, just a minute ago, and we're going to have a little bit more on this in our ep- uh, episode next week as we get a little bit closer to National Signing Day Part Two. But as Carolina finishes out this class, only a couple more slots remaining. Give me some big picture. Like I said, we'll have a little bit more time to go into the specifics of some of the guys specifically what their strengths are and what exactly Carolina will be looking for. But what are some names that you're looking for to decide here in the next couple of weeks, obviously leading up to National Signing Day? Um, you know, Jamie Robinson will decide on Signing Day probably. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's down to Kentucky, Tennessee, Auburn, South Carolina. Gamecocks have had, you know, longstanding relationship there. Uh, Jaquez Sorrells, who hasn't really indicated a date. I mean, he may go visit Alabama and Penn State. He's pretty secretive, yeah. you know, about. He, he's mentioned Signing Day before. Yeah, though, so Signing Day, of... yeah. The date, his target, um, yeah, Dequan Watts. He mo- he sort of moved his he's date moved as well. Moving target. Uh, signing day is the sixth, right? Yeah. He when I talked to him, he said the fourth, the fifth, or the sixth. Um, and he his has sort of moved around a little bit as well. I just actually heard before we started recording, he's gonna official to Louisville this weekend now mm-hmm. instead of Oregon. Uh, Maryland is another school to watch, sort of hopping in there with him. Um. You know, and then I think, uh, Chris, you look at maybe an offensive lineman in there potentially. Yeah. Um, that that's kind of, I mean, sort of it right now. Yeah, to me. All right, so Shiloh got added to the mix, obviously on Tuesday as we record on Wednesday. Then you know, I think you look at adding another DB, you know, another defensive tackle and Sorrels, and then another offensive lineman. And I I think maybe, I, mean, I don't know about you, I feel like if you if you miss on an offensive lineman, then maybe you just stick another db in there to and just take take them both if you can get them yeah i mean that you, you might get to a point where it's best available i get the sense that the the i guess the desire if if all things work out is maybe another offensive lineman but mm-hmm. you got to look at what's available you know the, the market has shrunk some and so you got darius washington out there but you know mississippi state commitment who didn't sign early but fsu just offered um he's That's a pensacola a big guy him, right like, yeah he's a pensacola guy and and fsu has some help I think in that situation where there's some family ties to FSU, so I, you know if I had to handicap it, I'd, I'd go Knowles there. And 
There's another O lineman out there we mentioned on Gamecock Central. We'll let we'll let our subscribers check that out. Mm, um, I like that. There, uh, there's a guy out of Georgia that they're that they're looking at too. But uh, you know, Watts is is certainly still out there, and then Robinson and Sorrells, and those are really the main guys for yeah, this class. It's, it's the February signing period is so different now than it used to be. It's kind, it, you know, it's it's easier on us. It's probably easier on the staffs too, but um, it's not as fun. I don't think. But uh, yeah, yeah Will Muschamp said as much. I guess it was after this most recent one because this is now the second year of the early signing period that it was mm-hmm. nice not having to basically spend January maintaining the commitments that you already basically. got or babysitting, right? Yeah. It, that yep. gives you an That's opportunity to go out and sort of pursue a couple more guys. So probably no huge surprises here in the next couple of weeks, but we will have a little bit more next week as we get closer to that. And sticking with football but moving away from recruiting for just a second, guys, there are some Senior Bowl workouts going on, and yesterday the Twitterverse was ablaze with highlights of Debo Samuel, who's apparently having a very impressive showing out there. He's a guy that you know no one has ever doubted his athleticism, his explosiveness, his playmaking ability and it seems like this past year his senior year the first year that he was actually healthy for an entire season at South Carolina he really put it all together and became a more complete receiver than we saw his first couple years at Carolina so what are you guys hearing out of the senior bowl practice and what do you think this could do to his draft stock yeah I mean it sounds like it's going very well he's doing what I think we probably all expected Um, you know I saw Brian McClendon was down there watching him uh, on uh, Tuesday Uh, we should mention McClendon actually saw uh, Washington, the offensive lineman, while he was down there as well, uh, or out in that general area, I guess. But, um, you know, this is a kid that we all, I think, knew what he could do. I think most people in the SEC that saw their team play against Debo Samuel knew what he could do, and it's just been about staying healthy and putting it all together. Uh, Chris, I know you watch the Panthers a lot. I watch the Panthers a lot. Uh, He reminds me of DJ Moore. uh, It's a good comp. You know, he's a first-round – he was a first-round pick. Um, I just wrote it today. What was he, 27th? It's in the 20s. It's okay. definitely 20s. Uh, and Debo, I don't think, has quite been mentioned as going that high. But I think you look at the skill set. I mean, is is DJ Moore, if, if everybody's completely healthy, is DJ Moore a better football player than Debo Samuel? And I like DJ Moore. I, yeah, he, I, was, he was really, really good in Maryland. Yeah, But, but Debo's really good, too. He's really good, too. I, DJ I, Moore, the 24th pick overall there in you go. the draft. Yeah. <laughs> The thing about Debo, I'll say this. Today, um, before we recorded this, I had a conversation with someone who uh, has done scouting for one of the major bowl games. Um, I'm sorry, not bowl games. One of the major all-star games leading up to the draft where guys who are top prospects are selected. And I asked him about Debo. I said, you know, he's having a good start to the week. How, what's the grade on him now? Where, how far can he go? How, how far can he move up? He said, you know, right now, He's he maybe a fourth round guy. He said, but he's moving up. Said he could move up as even as high as into like the top forty range, which would put him second round. I said, wow, that's pretty impressive. He said, you know, right now he may be lower than that. Um, you know, the injury. The, my question: the injury history. Even though he's fully healthy his senior year, are people still going to look at that and have questions about that? That's possible and that's fair. Um, but it, it was told to me: look, if he has a, if he continues having a really good week. Um, out at the bowl game he's playing in during practices and the, the game. And then if he goes and he runs really well in Indy and tests really well, which he certainly could. What, what do could. you think he'll run? That's, yeah, that's, that's a good I'm question. Yeah, see. I mean, I would think he'll run in the 4-4s. Four yeah. I would think. Um, he's pretty explosive. He'll probably put up some really good numbers. 
Um, he said he hey he could go up into the second round. So uh, well, and he just has so much upside. And uh, you made the DJ Moore comp for me. Watching DJ Moore in college, he seemed like a more complete receiver than Debo. And again, no disrespect to Debo, but Debo you know has the ability to do a lot of other things. And I think that's a lot of where his uh, value was. But for me, I think maybe a, a better comparison is, and you know, maybe this is even uh, like too too much. But he's always kind of reminded me, especially the way Carolina used him, of, of a Percy Harvin type. And you know, even mm-hmm. down to the injury issues, which are something that eventually submarined Harvin's career. But a guy that can line up in the slot, he can be an outside receiver, he can line up as a wildcat quarterback, he can line up in the backfield and just take handoffs. Or I guess maybe a more recent example of Tavon Austin, but he's bigger than both of those guys. And so, despite some of those injury issues, I think playing all last year and being healthy and the fact that the issues, you know, it wasn't anything like nagging knee issues or, you know, in the case of Percy Harvin, it was, you know, an issue of concussions. It was soft tissue issues that he seemed to have mostly resolved. So I feel like that may that may help in terms of people assessing his future and, you know, evaluating his productivity versus his potential as again, someone with that like varied skill set. And that could also very well just turn into like a good every down kind of receiver in the NFL. Yeah, and I think um, with Debo, and I think Percy probably, as explosive as Debo is, Percy Harvin was probably one of the most explosive college football guys I've ever seen. So I think you give him the edge there. I think you give Debo, like you said, the edge in size, and we're talking about just you know thickness, the ability to run through tackles. I think the thing about Debo— Yeah, Percy could make you miss. Debo can run over you. Yeah, Debo will drag guys. And and Debo, I think, God, he was so good at turning a— little three or four or five yard gain into more and just uh you know dragging people getting the extra yards he, he becomes a running back and he's he's really a receiver in a running back's body i think so um it, and it came to my mind as we were talking about all this uh d- does debo samuel go higher or lower than alshon jeffrey because alshon jeffrey was an absolute monster at south carolina and didn't get picked until 45th overall which surprised me now, now he's, I think, what, one of the top 10 receivers in the league? Probably, yeah, right around there. Um, I wouldn't have any issue with top with you saying top 10. The thing with Alshon, I remember— they're different, they're different players. Completely, completely different players. Could not be more yeah. different players at the same position. <laughs> yeah. And I remember there was also the narrative. It, it started a little bit, I guess, Alshon's last year at South Carolina and really carried over into the draft, and I wonder how much it actually affected him. But remember, everybody was worried about Alshon having gotten chubby, you yeah, know, yeah. going into his last year and then going into BBs. The, right, right, which is yeah. obviously no problem. And, you know, his verticality, his hand strength, his route running ability, all that stuff sort of made up for it. But I, I don't know. I, I I had never really given thought to the fact that Debo might be a better receiver than Alshon because, mm-hmm. you know, statistically, Alshon just had a better career, but Debo was also banged up. And mm-hmm. again, Debo does offer you that other element, but that would be... That would be crazy to me if he went higher than Alshon mm-hmm. and would also just sort of be a great indication of where the NFL is headed now, just in terms of needing diverse, like a diverse array of playmakers, even more than just like a good traditional vertical kind of possession receiver. I think that would speak more to what the NFL values than necessarily to either one of those guys' individual talents. Yeah, I think you're right. Because, I mean, even even before this year, like if you, you can go back, you can find many, many, many players not as good as Alshon Jeffrey that got drafted well ahead, uh, you know, of Alshon Jeffrey. I mean, who so. was a bigger part of his offense, Alshon or Hayden Hurst? 
It's got to be Alshon. Alshon. And, yeah. and, and and big catches. And, again, nothing yeah. against Hayden Hurst. And part of that may just be kind of an unfortunate coincidence with him being in a really terrible stretch of mm-hmm. South Carolina football. But um, it, it is interesting to think about. And so at the end of the day, it's all about need and it's all about fit. And uh, Debo's absolutely going to help somebody. It's just a matter of, of what capacity. Uh, one more quick thing before we get out of here. South Carolina last night, big upset winners over Auburn, 80-77, to bouncing back after a humiliating loss against LSU. Now 5-1 and one in the SEC, a third of the way through the SEC slate. Have a tough run coming up. They have Tennessee, then they're at Georgia, at Kentucky. Wes, do you see this continuing? I, I, I keep waiting for the other shoe to drop. It seemed like LSU was that game, and yeah. then they come into Colonial Life Arena last night and, and beat a very good Auburn team. Yeah, I think you asked me that last week, too. And I know, I know, because it, I keep expecting it to end. And you're probably going to ask it next week. But probably. Well, and the, the it, funny thing is, since we've done this podcast, we've had a, a low low and a high high. I didn't get to talk to you in yeah, the immediate in aftermath between, of, yeah. of the LSU game, um, but now we're talking about Carolina, again, back on the up and up. Yeah, and L, man, LSU, that's a good basketball team, like a really good basketball team, and I think a bad matchup for South Carolina probably. I think you look at Auburn, another really good basketball team, but a different type of basketball team, I think South Carolina – Matchup-wise, it favored them a little bit more with their size and uh, obviously being at home. Hey, the, and I, I got to say, the, the crowd at Colonial Life last night was as good as it's been all year. I think the best it's been all year. Um, you know, as much as maybe they've gotten ragged on a little bit, I think we can give them kudos uh, as well because it was a great atmosphere for South Carolina. They, I think, fed off of it. And, uh, you know, Chris Silva was awesome. And, and Frank Martin, who explains things better than – I think just about anybody out there, I, I like listening to coaches that really um, can explain why things happen. Talking about Chris Silva and um, how he makes things happen, if, if y'all listen to the, the post game with Frank and how Silva basically uh, took away three options, basically, from Auburn on the final Auburn offensive possession and uh, sort of covered up a mistake in defense by Keyshawn Bryant and then got the rebound as well. Uh, Frank can explain it way better than I can if you go listen to it. But uh, point being, when Chris Silva is on the court and is out of foul trouble, it's not just the 32 points, which was incredible and career high and all that, but he affects everything. And, uh, you know, but you got to give – it's another team win. That's the thing. You know, Silva was the guy, but Mike Koksar goes with a basically a really, really bad sprained ankle that have affected him. They didn't even think the night before that he was going to be able to play. He guts it out and plays. Uh, Keyshawn Bryant um, couldn't buy a basket for most of the game and then keeps chugging away, keeps chugging away, makes plays late to help the team win. A big dunk, a couple of Eurostep like baseline drives for just silky, beautiful finishes that are just so much fun to watch. It's still so fun to watch. Uh, Hassani Gravit continues to make big shots six and, assists off the bench for him too which was tremendous and and one of the shots where he's uh basically fading out of bounds as the shot clock expires um incredible when that shot went in i was like south Carolina's winning this game and uh then felipe Hase drills the big three-pointer to put south carolina up is he uh, the clutchest player on this basketball team yeah, because he had he the assist be, to Chris man. Silva in the Florida game. He had four really crucial free throws down the stretch in that Vanderbilt game, and then the three against Auburn. This dude, who's, I guess, ostensibly like the seventh guy for Carolina, keeps coming in, playing in the biggest moments, and coming up, you know, all aces in the in the biggest moments. Well, And I think it almost has sort of permeated this team. They, they have a confidence that when they've been in these close games, because let's think about the wins. They, a lot of them have been very, very close 
All of them except for Missouri when we're talking about SEC play. Yeah, but they've they've had multiple guys step up and make plays when when they've had to. And I I think, um, you know, we're we're seeing this team come together. Who's to say they can't keep it up? Now, the schedule, I mean, it's going to be a grind. There's going to be more ups. There's going to be more downs like the LSU game. They're going to run into some bad matchups. They'll probably have an off night somewhere along the way. But, I mean, who's to say they can't keep it going? Nobody expected this in the first place. So, um, good for them, though, man. They've, they've stayed at it, and uh, you got to be happy for those guys. That's the thing that's impressed me most about this team, and I give Frank Martin a lot of credit for keeping the locker room, for keeping these guys mm-hmm. level-headed because there are have been a lot of ups and downs with this team, and it seems like they haven't gotten too high, certainly haven't gotten too low, and you know, especially after a 5-7 and seven start, it's, it would be easy to lose a locker room or mm-hmm. you know, get some of that doubt to allow some of that doubt to, to seep in, and they've done a great job of, of not thinking about that and just getting out there and getting to work, and it's been fun to watch, even though they make all the fans sweat out every single game but we'll certainly keep an eye out on them have oklahoma state this weekend so we'll have an update for you here and if you want to listen to the game as always the home of the gamecocks 107.5 the game the place to do that for wes and chris i am pearson fowler and this has been another episode of that's another carolina podcast one of these days i'm going to get chris and wes to do it with me they're too cool right now i feel like i'm in middle school all over again but thank you guys for listening like subscribe share with your friends and we will talk to you next week With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.